My guest on this edition of ADE Spotlight Podcast is Michigan Representative Joseph Bellino, who represents the 17th District in the state of Michigan. I was interested in having Mr. Bellino uh, come on and talk to us about the legislative efforts that are being made to address the opioid epidemic. I've had the opportunity to have a lot of conversations with people about opioids from many different disciplines, be it law enforcement or professional counselors. And I thought that uh, it would be interesting to focus today on uh, what's being done legislatively. So uh, I've asked uh, Mr. Bellino to come on. He is the sponsor of a bill, uh, Michigan uh, House Bill 4408, which we will talk about in this conversation. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And as always, we welcome your feedback. Mr. Bellino, thank you for joining us here for this edition of ADE's Spotlight Podcast. I'm happy to have you here, and I'm, and I'm hoping today that we can talk about the legislative approach to what folks are calling the opioid epidemic now. I've been fortunate to have conversations with a lot of people about this issue, and we're looking at it from a lot of different angles, and I think it'll be helpful to have you here with us today. Uh, before we start, uh, perhaps you could just inform the listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, your involvement with the uh, state of Michigan legislature, and your specific involvement with this issue. Thank you. Uh, I was I was voted into office last November, so I've been in office about 10 months now. And I was very fortunate early on to have the governor come up to me and ask me to be on the opioid task force that there was an opening in. Um, there's a task force with Republican and, and Democratic senator, Republican, Democratic House member, and the House member is Andy Shore, Republican on my side was turned out, so they gave me that spot. And these senators are Senator Analick and Senator Shootmaker. And so we get together every couple months and talk about legislation and what's going on, progress forward to, to help people. So I was lucky to be put on that. Um, I never thought I'd be in politics. Uh, 59 years old, one day I woke up and said, you know what, there needs to be some different ideas up there, some change. I was a small business owner and still am. I was on a college uh, trust. I was a college trustee 15 years at Monroe County Community College, and I decided not to do that again. And ran for office, and uh, I caught some lightning and won. Um, I bring a little bit of different experience to the, to the house uh, as a recovering addict, and I'm with the rehab in '83. I have some ideas and, and some experiences that a lot of people in the house said I don't have. So I'm hoping, as up, up to now and, and forward, I can bring some my experiences and uh, share my experiences and and get some legislation passed and make it better for the people. Now, I, for one, know we can't legislate sobriety. I know that for a fact. But there are a few things we can do to make it harder for addicts to get this stuff and make it easier for doctors and prescribers to see who's trying to get it all over the country and all over the state. So that's where my ideas are now, and that's why I am today. I want to talk about some of the specific legislative efforts here in Michigan. But but before we do that, let me let me ask you this: the, You mentioned the uh, Michigan Opioid Task Force. How long has that been uh, in uh, in effect? I think three and a half three and a half years. Yep. Um, I, I was a new man on it, and and the, the first time we got together, there was some some controversy whether the bills being pushed out with all their names on it would have my name on it because I was brand new. But when they heard me talk and, and found out my experience with the, with drugs and alcohol and sobriety and staying sober and working on staying sober and helping other people, then I was gladly taken aboard by people from both sides of the party and uh, 
and, and give us some credit towards things they're working on. So, uh, yeah, I think about three, three and a half years, yep. I, I think the governor actually might have two different task force, uh, one that works tightly with him and one that works on the outside working on stuff. Uh, I know Senator Zorn's on a task force, not the same one I'm on, and there's a couple of senators and, and House people on that, too. So, and, you know, it's... It, it, we, we call this an opioid epidemic, but I'm, I'm not really sure that we have more addicts on the street than we did 10, 15, 20 years ago. But this is a drug that's killing people left and right. And uh, so we people have jumped aboard and tried to help people out uh, quicker than usual. I mean, uh, back in the 70s, we were smoking lots of marijuana, doing lots of drinking. In fact, as a high schooler, I protested the fact that I could not drink at 18, but my friends could go to Vietnam and die. So we pressed the legislature, they changed the law for two and a half, three years because they found out more of us were dying from alcohol driving around than dying in Vietnam and other wars and other areas, and they changed the law back right away. So you can see how the tide turns on these things, even going back to the 70s. And now we're, we're on an opioid, uh, we have an opioid epidemic. Uh, we have too many people dying left and right uh, of all walks of life, poor, rich, middle class, upper class, any color, any sex, and... Uh, it's sad, uh, so we're trying to work hard on it to keep the drug out of people's hands. So, you mentioned uh, for those those folks listening to this that that aren't in the state of Michigan, you 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 mentioned that brief little window when uh, the drinking age went down to eighteen here in the state of Michigan, and and shortly thereafter went back up to twenty one, and and uh, you know I'm uh, right around that age range as well, and so I often run into people who fell into that little window, and it sounds like you're one of them as well. Um, yeah, but I've been told that, uh, that I was supposed to quit drinking for a half a year. They changed the law back to 21, but I don't remember quit drinking at all. So. Oh, imagine that. Yeah, I can't imagine uh, many others did it either. So, uh, But getting back to this uh, rather serious issue of the, of the opiates, uh, I became aware earlier this year of something called the Michigan Automated Prescription System. Are you familiar with that, Joe? Yeah, and I, I, in talking to people about that, uh, it looked uh, to me, and maybe you can uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was sort of an effort to uh, regulate uh, the prescriptions uh, of opiates and to track uh, people who may be abusing um, prescriptions. Is that is that a correct assumption? Correct, and, th- and this is our second second time with this system. The first time, the first map was real clunky. It took a lot of time. Um, this one is quick. Uh, they tell me 10, 15 seconds. You can put the person's ID stuff in the computer and find out if they've been to Walgreens around the corner or CVS or other doctors in the area or other states. Because when it's all said and done, I think we're going to have 47, 48 states hooked up to this system, which would be great for tracking the drug. Um, but the problem we're going to have, and the problem we're having now is that, you know, we're, we're not quote-unquote, paying the doctors to look this up. And Lord forbid we ask the doctors to do something that they don't get paid for. So right now we're having a pushback, or, or, or we're asking them to do something that is beyond the realm of scope of what they've been doing for 35, 20, or 40 years, whatever. Because uh, we all know that the doctors know better than us. They're trained and know better than us. But how dare we ask them to use this computer to see if this person, Joe Bellino, has been abusing opioids. So that's the pushback we're getting now. So... Hopefully, uh, with upcoming legislation, uh, we make it mandatory to use it. And they're not going to like it. Uh, but you got to be honest. The doctors and providers 
have a hand in this problem, whether they like to say so or not. And I think a lot of the younger ones, the more progressive, are finally saying, yes, we are part of the problem. They are definitely part of the problem because they didn't realize what they were doing early on in this epidemic. Um, I know they were told by Purdue Pharmaceutical and other companies that if a person is not an addict now and you prescribe it, they won't become an addict. But the problem is when you get 30 or 40 pills for, say, a hernia, and you've got 10 days worth three times a day, it's hard not to be an addict when you're taking pills for 10 days three times a day at that potency. So that, that's the problem with the MAP system. It, it's an excellent system. It's quick. Um, if you get on it, you can see what, what the gentleman or lady or person's been doing and buying these prescriptions. And, 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 and let's be honest. Most people use these drugs the correct way. The problem is they're getting too many or maybe too many times, and then uh, that's where the problem lies. Uh, you know, it was, it was pretty common for a doctor a couple years ago to give them 100 opioids for, for outpatient surgery. Well, those opioids sit in the cabinet for time, and next thing you know, they're gone. Somebody else has got them, and they're using them for, to get high instead of correct the pain. So there lies the problem. So it's an excellent system. It works quick now, but it's got to be used to be effective. So it's, unless you use it, you're not going to find out. So this MAP system, this Michigan Automated Prescription System, is, is a database wherein the doctor then would uh, put in information about the uh, patient and what it is that they prescribed for the patient? Is Correct. It? Correct. And, and they'll know if they've been getting opioids, because a lot of people doctor shop. A lot of addicts like myself doctor shop, or they call dentists. They don't know because uh, they have pain in the tooth, so they, they try to get these prescriptions. But if you're on the system and you, it's in the system that Joe Bellino bought an opioid at Walgreens, the next day, CVS can see that Joe Bellino bought the same prescription at Walgreens and they'll stop it. So, although it says Michigan automated prescription system, you're saying that there's reciprocity in other states. So, yes, if, right. as, as, I, as I heard uh, last month, I think there's 47 states have it or are working on finishing up the system. So, we'll all be linked in. And I think the federal government wants all 50 states to be on it too. So that'll probably happen still. And so, and it makes it makes too much sense because we 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 have this. We're on 75 here in Monroe, Michigan, and we're on this corridor between Florida and Michigan. And then when when you look at the opioid epidemic, there's there's a lot of activity in Ohio and Tennessee, Kentucky coming up north and going down south. So they're using doctors, getting lots of pills and taking them north and south and selling them. We, we had a real bad doctor in the world for a long time. I don't want to say his name, but he was a real bad doctor. And if you came in and had a pain and you paid cash, uh, he gave you a prescription. He took an MRI or, or, or x-ray and he gave you a prescription. Well, I have a small market right near his office. And one day a man came in, came into my store and he had tears in his eyes. He said, I dropped my prescription. Well, I'm thinking blood pressure, it's heart, he needs it, the wind's blowing, I said, I'll help you. I know where all the paper blows in my lot, in my property, when the wind blows this way. So I went back to the back of the property. I found two prescriptions out of three. He had three of them. Before I handed them back to the man, I looked at him. They were for 100 opioids. So that man had three prescriptions for 300 pills. That he was going to go back to Ohio. He's from Toledo and sell them. And there, hence, lies the growth of the problem back then. So hopefully today we've, we're getting rid of these bad doctors and we're cracking down on these huge prescriptions. And we're giving smaller prescriptions, and that will help ease uh, the, the, the want and, and the addiction craving. If you can't get it, I mean, you got to start making other changes. Um, as an addict, you don't change until you feel pain. And maybe if a person can't get them all the time quickly, 
uh, maybe they'll start changing their behavior and maybe pain will happen and they'll, they'll get sober. So, so this, this database would be available to doctors as well as to pharmacists who would then be filling these prescriptions and we'd be able to track the history of, uh, of an individual as they go through the system. What are the, um, I would imagine there, Joe, there may be some pushback uh, relative to privacy, and is, have you have you run across that? Uh, not really. Uh, the only pushback we're getting is from the medical profession, um, but I think they're easing up. Uh, there's been some language changes, but uh, the pushback right now is from the medical profession itself, not from the pharmacist, because there are bills out there to, to help the pharmacist too. But it's the medical profession, the doctors themselves. So. You mentioned pharmacists. One of the interesting things here, as I was looking through my notes related to the maps was um, there is some uh, pending legislation, maybe it's not pending anymore, that uh, does protect pharmacists uh, from civil liability if a pharmacist refuses to fill a prescription. Uh, Correct. And, and before this bill was passed um, through the House, and I think, it's, I think the governor, I don't know if the governor signed it yet, but it went to the House, pharmacists could have got sued for not filling a prescription. Well, if they, you know, a pharmacist's been there 10, 15, 20 years. They have an idea who the addicts are when they're coming in. If they feel it's just uh, the, the opioids just to fuel their addiction, not for a, a real medical cause, they didn't have the ability to say, no, I'm not filling it, but I'll get sued. It doesn't make any sense to me because the pharmacists know better than the doctors sometimes who the addicts are because they're seeing the people all the time. So it's great legislation to protect the pharmacist. And some of my pharmacist friends say sometimes, it got violent and real verbal when they refused a prescription. So, and I, I understand that completely. If, if you're jonesing and you need the drug bad, you're not going to say, well, thank you very much and walk out. So, The listeners of uh, these podcasts know that uh, my father uh, was a pharmacist uh, for many years, but he also, uh, after he was, he sold his drug stores, he worked for the Department of Licensing and Regulation here in the state of Michigan. Uh, unfortunately, he, he's passed away. I, I think... I would love to have this conversation with him, uh, his view uh, on some of these changes as well. But it's an interesting idea. And the other thing related to that that I, that I made a note here of, Joe, was limiting uh, prescriptions to a 30-day supply for chronic uh, pain sufferers and a seven-day supply for acute pain sufferers. Now, that idea has been bandied about, uh, and I've talked to people uh, you know, from a wide range of disciplines about that idea. And uh, I, 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 there has been some, uh, c- some comments made to me that limiting that supply, uh, while on the one hand it may prevent the abuse you mentioned, the gentleman with the, you know, getting 100 pills at a time and that sort of thing. So limiting the supply may, may prevent some abuse. Uh, I, have, I have had some folks say to me that limiting that supply leads people to go back out on the streets and look for uh, those drugs in uh, illegal or unsafe manners. So I, 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 I kind of get some feedback from both sides of that and just wondered if you could clarify uh, maybe the position of the legislature on that issue. Well, that, that hasn't been written in stone yet, and I, I see both sides of it. Um, I've talked to people who have chronic pain and don't want to go back every month, or people with acute pain. I, I talked to this weekend, and... The insurance companies now stepping forward, and they're stepping in front of the legislation. And she said her Blue Cross was going to make her come back every seven days. This lady Saturday I talked to every seven days to refill her prescription. 
and that would be a pain for her to go back to the pharmacist every seven days for a prescription. But that's something she said Blue Cross was instituting. And so it's possible that they see what's happening with the legislation coming through the House and Senate, and they're jumping forward. And it's possible they see that uh, they could probably help with the problem. But if you have acute pain, and the only pain relief you have is an opioid, um, well, that, that could be a terrible thing to be in. But here, here's my follow-up to that, though. Before we started using these opioids for chronic pain, now let's get honest here. When opioids first came out in the 70s, early 80s, or whatever it was, we used them only for cancer patients to keep them comfortable while they died. And somewhere along the line, it got to the point where whatever pain you had, whether you bump your head or you have chronic pain that we can't figure out, now you're taking opioids. So somewhere along the line, we switched the use for it, and hence more and more pills in the street, more and more pills everywhere else because people change the definition of what it's used for. So I'm not sure when it happened or why it happened. I'm sure the pharmaceutical companies have a hand in that um, because they're obviously not losing money on opioids. But, but you know, I remember a doctor's telling me that they only used them for people dying of cancer in the early days. That's all they used them for. And now they're used for everything. So that, that is concerning to me that we've taken this drug that was used for one thing, make you comfortable while you're dying, and now it's for every pain you might have. So obviously that you know, we can't use Motrin 800s anymore for pain because they don't use, they don't, they don't work anymore for some people. But they worked in the old days. Something worked in the old days. And what worked... What worked back then? Why can't it work now? That's my question. I, th- I seem to recall that recently there was a large sort of national chain pharmacy that is self-limiting those prescriptions to a seven-day supply. Uh, I, may, I may be wrong on that, but I, I recall reading that recently. You know, one of the other uh, uh, interesting notes here that I found when I was looking at the pending legislation uh, was the idea that uh, it would require prescribers to have a bona fide physician-patient relationship. Uh, now, when I read that, my assumption is that that's uh, an attempt to prevent doctor shopping, that if there's no uh, bona fide or verifiable relationship, then the uh, uh, prescriber won't be able to prescribe these opiate drugs. Is, is my reading on that correct? Correct. That's, that's all about doctor shopping, yep. Interesting. Um, I want to get into a specific bill that you've sponsored, but before I do that, uh, let's step outside the state of Michigan. We've talked about some of these approaches here in the state of Michigan. In in your research, have you found similar approaches either uh, from the federal government or from other states uh, when when you looked at at some of this legislation? Well, other states are similar to us. Uh, they may be a little ahead of the curve of us or maybe behind the curve, but they're doing the same types of things that they can do to keep the pills out of people's hands. But when it comes to the federal government, they're, they're, they're a little slower. Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, pharmaceutical companies said if you were an addict and you took this drug, you wouldn't become an addict. Well, we, we found out that was a lie. And then, and then we got the federal government that has these scoring surveys when you leave the hospital. And what, the fifth one is how do they manage your pain and you can lose Medicaid, Medicare money if you get bad scores, so they want you not to be in pain. So let's get on this. The federal government's part of this, too. That, that, that fifth question, how do they manage your pain? If they can give you something to kill the pain, then you've got a bad mark, and it's bad for the hospital. So the feds are looking at this, and they want to change this, but they, they move a lot slower than state government. And I know they got to get that fifth question off of that sheet and get the pain out of it or change the way the question's worded. Because uh, right now they're... You're, 
you're making money, you're getting better scores by giving opioids. And that's not what it was supposed to be about. So they're, they're a lot farther behind us. Um, but other states are doing similar stuff with us, uh, the doctor shopping, uh, the MAP system, um, you know, the minors, the, the prescriptions to minors are very similar to most other states, what they're doing right now. Um, our, our governor put a task force together early on because uh, some states are just doing it now. So we're a little bit ahead of the curve of some states. So that's where we're at with that. That's very interesting. So you're saying that that when a patient leaves a hospital, they, they are asked to take a survey. Well, one of the survey questions has to do with uh, uh, how satisfied they were with how their pain was managed. Lo- a exactly. low score, or the scores in general, are tied to federal funding? Correct. Yep. Wow. And it's a shame. It's a shame. And so when, when I read a couple of years, three or four years ago that my hospital got a bad score, you know, they don't tell us where they scored bad. It could have been that fifth question. What if, what if they were ahead of the game and said, we're not giving you opioids, we're giving you Motrin 800, so you're left with a little bit of pain, or you, you know, you're left without a big smile on your face? Cause let, let, and so that, that, my hospital got a bad marking for that, and other hospitals got good markings, and that's all tied to federal money. And that's the shame part of it. Now, I think they had good things in mind when they came up with this score sheet with federal money. Make sure you're taking care of the patient. They're getting good care. They're all getting good care, all even care. You're taking care of everybody you can. I understand that, but the fifth question about the pain uh, it turned into a huge problem. Yeah, the law of unintended consequences. I, I see that. Correct. Yep. Yep. Well, let's get to uh, a bill that you've sponsored. This is uh, here in Michigan, House Bill 4408. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, how that developed and where that stands with the legislature? Well, 4408 was a bill originally to make sure that doctors and parents or guardians okay to give a prescription for opioids or to give opioids to a minor what we found out was that uh, a lot of kids had football injuries basketball injuries and they were getting prescriptions and their parents didn't know about it and um, in fact one of our house members lost a nephew after started taking opioids after a football injury so my legislation will make sure that the parent <coughs> pardon me parent or guardian, no, no, for a fact, or sign a waiver saying, yes, you give my son Johnny or Joey Bolino, you give him an opioid for his pain. That's where mine is. Now, it's changing right now as it goes to the Senate. Some of the words are changing, and uh, uh, I've been assured from Senator Shirky that the whole gist of it will change, but they're changing some words of it right now in the Senate. What surprises me, I suppose, from an outsider's perspective, is that this wasn't already required. That's, I guess that's a, that's a bit of a surprise to me that, that a doctor could prescribe something to a minor without parental authorization. That, that surprised me too, but you know what? When you talk to the doctor's side of it, they can't believe that we're trying to interfere with their practice. That's the general gist for most doctors. And we have two doctors in the Republican caucus in the House, and that's their feeling on this. How dare you tell us when or what to prescribe to who? And I understand that because the doctor has the knowledge, but I don't believe the doctors came down here on the earth as Jesus Christ. So I've got some problems with it. I understand. Yeah, I understand, I suppose, and uh, on, on a certain level, that objection. But it seems to me that that uh, there's a parental authorization should be required not only for this, but 
but most medical care outside, of course, there are exceptions, of course. There are exceptions for uh, medical emergencies, I understand, and there's exceptions for uh, an individual who may be in hospice care and, and that sort of thing, sort of common yeah. sense objections. But uh, uh, what other, other than, than from the medical uh, community, has there been uh, critics of this bill? Uh, not really, no. No, it's a, people think it's pretty much common sense, which sometimes we lack in Lansing, so. <laughs> Uh, this uh, would then become part of uh, an ele- electronic uh, medical record for this minor, this parental authorization? I think it would be, yeah. yeah. You, you would see on maps how old the person is and how uh, if, if you got the okay from his parents or guardian. It just makes too much sense to me because I know as, as a recovering addict, and I've met and, and I've seen young people die, relatives, people that work for me, you get an opioid and you're on it for a few days, and all of a sudden, the pills dry up. Well, what are you going to do next? You're going to go find the heroin. It's only 10 bucks. It's cheaper than the pill. It gives you the same buzz, and hence, we're not, people are dying because the, the mix of the heroin is not what it used to be. is too much fentanyl in it, and so they're not getting the pills. So I, I know when kids get on these pills for a few days, uh, it, can be, it can be hell to get off it and to get away from it and, and get some kind of a life back together after you've been on them. As an addict, I've seen it. I've experienced it. And I, I know it to be true. Great point. I think that's a great point. Um, so my, my, I guess my follow-up question to that is, in addition to some of these efforts to uh, to track uh, individuals' use and potential abuse through the MAP system to uh, encourage and maybe eventually mandate prescribers to use the MAP system to control uh, some of the... Uh, uh, the time frames and, and the uh, size of the prescriptions or the length of time for these prescriptions to, to prevent some of the doctor shopping, to, to have uh, parental authorization for minors' use of opiates. Are there efforts made uh, in, within this uh, uh, legislation or, or this uh, bundle of legislation for uh, recovery efforts as well once somebody uh, becomes addicted? Is there some uh, effort to provide uh, funding or or uh, encouragement for recovery? Yes. Um, I think it was uh, uh, Andy Shores' bill is asking the state for more money for rehab. And and, and as I tell people jokingly, the, the, the addiction to opioids or heroin is, is not my father's alcoholism. And I say that jokingly because it's my alcoholism. It's my drug addiction. It's totally different today than it was for me in the, in the early 80s. Um, I'm happy to say that I was, I'm was i lucky to have just been a cocaine addict and an and a, and a, and a addict to alcohol, gin, gin per se, also. I'm lucky to have that because today's, today's heroin or opioid addict is, is totally different. It's, 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 a more, it's a more mental addiction. It takes a longer time to get sober, I believe, and I believe a lot of that's got to do with where you're living, in your surroundings. So I went to 28 days of rehab. I, I started going to A meetings. I came back to a decent family. I, I, I got married to a wonderful woman and I had good things around me. I had positive vibes around me and I'm, I'm trying to get sober. I'm trying to change my life. Well, you go to 28 days of rehab and get out to go back to the same setting you were in when you were using heroin or opioids. And if, if it's not a good setting, you have a tough time to keep it together. So we need to have money for funding for long-term rehab. Um, I'm talking six, 
six months, 12 months, a year and a half into to a setting like a Doran Farms or something like that. Or in Monroe, we have a place called Paula's House. And people get their lives back together and develop the things around them they need to live a sober life, like sober friends, like a, a, a job, a good job, a, a, a meaning for living. And, and that's what we need for this, this addiction. And it, 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 it wasn't happening before. So hopefully uh, we, we do some stuff to, to fund some people to be in long-term rehab somehow. Uh, because it's, it's 28 days, a spin dry is just not working for this addict. This, this is part of the approach for the uh, opioid task force? Yes, yes, and that's Andy Shores' bill, yep. And, and I'm so happy that Andy sponsored that. He's a, he's a great guy to have uh, on the floor with me. Uh, he's, a, he's a wonderful Democrat. All he wants to do is help people. And uh, I think that is the best of all our bills in this package. It's his bill right there to get more funding for, for rehab. For those of us that don't really, aren't uh, really fully... Uh... Uh, immersed in the legislative process, what happens now with with uh, these ideas that we've discussed in these bills as they move from the House to the Senate or vice versa? Uh, when when would we expect to see some action on these? So a lot of the bills are in the, are in the House right now, and there's some voting in health policy. I think tomorrow, Wednesday, I think Wednesday, when it comes out of health policy, then goes to the floor, comes off the floor, goes to the Senate. Some bills have done that already and are in the Senate, ready to come back to the House for little changes. Uh, they, they're pretty transparent going back and forth. And when they're all done with going from the Senate to the House and, and all the language is correct, then it goes to the governor, where I'm pretty sure the governor's going to sign everything. Um, so I think I think they'll all be signed uh, by the end of session in December. I think that's a timeline on it. And they would be these would become effective immediately? Is there some grace period for these? Immediate effect, and uh, uh, that'll be within 30 days. I'll go, go with the law. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I was talking to to somebody not so long ago about a, a program called Hope Not Handcuffs. I, I don't know if you're familiar with that program here in Michigan, but it's really a more of a law enforcement effort to to uh, encourage people who are struggling with opiates or heroin to uh, can, they can come forward. And ask for help without uh, risk of any criminal charges. Um, I like, I, you know, I, I appreciate seeing those kinds of efforts, and I know that uh, our our professional uh, counseling partners are uh, stepping up their uh, level of education and intervention uh, as it re- as it regards uh, opioids. And uh, I'm encouraged to see that uh, there's legislative efforts uh, like these as well. Uh, this is a, uh, uh, to borrow a phrase, this is an epidemic. Uh, we've seen things like this before. Uh, uh, you and I spoke uh, before about, uh, you know, going back into the 1980s when there was, uh, uh, we, we could call it a crack epidemic. And uh, those of us working in the field at that time were working hard to provide specific treatment for people who are using crack. And I can remember four or five years ago seeing front page newspaper articles about the need for increased funding for methamphetamine. And so here we are now in 2017 and we're talking about opioids. And, and uh, in some respects, um, there's nothing new under the sun. But, but as you uh, mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, there is something different about this. There is something different about uh, people uh, who are using opioids then going out and uh, buying heroin off the street uh, with all of the inherent dangers of that. 
so uh, it, it, uh, it's encouraging to see all these efforts. And I, re I really want to appreciate uh, and thank you for coming out and talking about uh, the efforts that you're making and uh, educating us just a little bit about uh, what it is the state of Michigan's doing on a legislative level to address this. Uh, I want to thank you for your time and, and, uh, and good luck with these efforts. Well, thank you. And, and I'm, I'm encouraged because, you know, for the first time we've got the government and the professional people and, and the court system all working together to try to keep people out of prison, out of jail, and, and to get them better in life and to get them sober and have them leading a productive life. Because the more, it seems to me like the more we do that, the more we'll save money in the long run. And we'll help lives and save lives, too. So that's what I'm encouraged about. So thank you. You know, before I let you go, one, th one thing uh, of interest to me, um, you know, I, I don't know, something like this MAPS system, for example, 10 or 15 years ago probably couldn't have existed. I don't know that the technology uh, would have existed to allow uh, these extensive databases uh, to track people. So uh, I, I, that's interesting to me. That's part of what uh, we at ADE, part of what we do here is, is provide these client management databases. Uh, and, we, and we do things that uh, technology allows us to do we couldn't do years ago. So uh, I think that's a positive development as well. Yep, it is. And, and it's, the, the MAP system is just an IT development. It's kind of like robots in factories, and it, it makes our job easier to get things done. And, and what you're doing helps out the court system and identifies other things that need to be done, and it makes it all easier for us and to, to, to help people. It makes it easier to give the services to help people, which is wonderful. Uh, Mr. Bellino, how can people get in touch with you if they want to... Uh discuss this with you or any of these issues that we've covered or maybe issues that we didn't cover, how can they get a hold of you? Well, they can get a hold of me at my office in Lansing. Uh, and I'll give you that number right now. 517-373-1530. Or they can email me at josephbellino at house.mi.gov. So look me up. Uh, I'm in the house and uh, give me a call or send me an email and I'll be happy to talk. And I'm also on Facebook as Joe Bellino, so it's, it's, you can do that too. Thanks, Joe. All right, thank you very much, sir. Thanks for listening to this episode of the ADE Spotlight Podcast. If you would like to be a guest on one of our podcasts or if you have an idea for a topic you'd like us to cover, please feel free to drop us a line. We'd love to hear your suggestions. If you haven't done so already, I encourage you to check out ADE Solutions, a new website from ADE. There you will find a variety of quizzes and assessments covering a whole range of behavioral health related topics, including substance use, gambling, mental health disorders, eating disorders, and the like. If you have concerns about yourself or a loved one in these areas, uh, please uh, access the website and check out the assessments. Or if you simply want to expand your knowledge on these topics, on the education tab on that website, we have a variety of quizzes uh, as well as other podcasts similar to the one that you just listened to. You can find that at www.ade.solutions or you can link to it from our corporate website, www.adeincorp.com. Dot com.